Um, you know, the tension and the adrenaline were palpable in court on Tuesday, like a cold knife going through an even colder stick of butter. The surprise witness who testified on Tuesday before Judge Carpenter in the Superior Court of Delaware, County of Kent, and his Harry jury, who are investigating the historic June 15th, 2021 attack on democracy, provided the most detailed and intimate picture yet of Auditor Kathleen K. McGinnis's actions as a group of four or five underworked and generally cranky employees began posting in a private Slack channel about the upcoming weekend's ladder ball tournament. The explosive and cinematic firsthand testimony from Andrea Baleen, trusted longtime aide of the auditor dating back two years. Uh, the Delaware Attorney General's office portrayed the auditor as almost unhinged with fury when the Capitol Police asked to raise the cop to guest ratio in the Kent, Corny Kent County Courthouse from one to six to one to three. Ms. Bayline said Ms. McGinnis knew of the threat of violence by her cadre of current and former chiefs of staff, but that she was unconcerned by it. Ms. McGinnis also apparently sympathized with her supporters as they chanted demands of placing a dunce cap upon the crown of Thomas Van Horn's head as penance for his accessing DraftKings.com using the auditor's office VPN. Robert, overall, Ms. Bayline's testimony was replete with, as I said before, stunning revelations. Comrades and friends, hello. Uh, this is Rob, and we are doing it again. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. This is your Kathy v. Kathy trial update, day nine. Bill, hello. How are you? Hey, Rob. I'm great. Uh, just before we're uh, recording tonight, uh, Carl, some friends and me, some friends both of the two-legged and four-legged variety, uh, got to see our uh, hometown Blue Rocks defeat the dreaded Jersey Shore Blue Claws, four to two, on a beautiful night, beautiful sunset. Lovely, lovely. I would stuff. love to see the uh, sunset on this trial one day soon, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, I do know exactly what you mean, and we got a little clear. We got the picture is becoming a little more clear um, what the end game here may be. As Bill alluded to uh, in his opening, we did have a sort of a a little change in plan. Um, the defense called a witness out of order uh, because Miss Andrea Raylene, uh, who goes by Anne, uh, was not going to be available uh, the, the, uh, the rest of the trial. Uh, so they did a little uh, quick get her in for about 30 minutes. Um, really, the, the gist of this was that she uh, was the, the chief admin auditor uh, who replaced Don Hall Young. Um, and she, along with Thomas Van Horn, scored the Innovate Consulting contract. So that contract, after the My Campaign Group contract, they uh, they create a they. Um, Christy Gross creates a new firm with a new name, Innovate Consulting. That contract goes out for bid, and there was some question about, um, you know, how this was supposed to be scored, um, how you know they were going to assign this contract. Um, there was two bids on it, uh, Barbicane and Innovate, and Innovate won the day. Uh, and uh, this witness basically said, you know, I didn't get any pressure. I just scored it the way that I thought I should score it. And, uh, you know, that was that. On cross-examination, 
you know, there was on, on some basic questions about, um, you know, working with Christy Gross before as my campaign group um, and her working with the auditor's office before. I noticed that the defendant, uh, the, def- the def- defense witness, excuse me, uh, you know, she had some nervous laughter. She started to like, she, she, she babbled a little more during cross, which I guess was just probably nerves again. Um, but not much, not much, uh, came out of it other than, you know, from her, from her end, she felt like she made a, an independent sort of a fair assessment in, in, in scoring and, and assigning this contract, um, and awarding this contract to innovate. Um, did I get all that, uh, Bill? Yeah, that all that all checks out. Uh, yeah, as Rob mentioned, you know it was a little odd uh, sequentially, but due to scheduling conflicts, uh, and uh, Balin went first today as the first defense witness, uh, despite this the state not um, resting their case yet. Uh, just a couple of funny things or or bits of info and trivia I picked up on during her testimony. Um, this is the first time we've heard the expression "hot sheets," and that was. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of poking fun at it, but not the worst idea in the world. I think the gist was the sort of new new school vision for the auditor's office was going to to put the uh, sort of boring and and uh, you know filled with numbers audit reports in more layman's terms. And the hot sheets uh, were sort of like a one pager that I imagine you know the office could tweet out or put on Facebook or something uh, during cross. Uh, Rob, you noted that. Um, that Mr. Wood was was really riding the objection, asked and answered quite a bit, right? Yes, yes. He he um, you know he he didn't. She he was she, on cross. Denny was asking her to clarify a few things or or give a little more detail about the scoring, and you know who she consulted and things like that. And um and yeah, uh, Steve Wood definitely wanted to move it along, so he he made about three or four objections. Um, finally, uh, Denny just sort of gave up. There wasn't a lot there to begin with, I don't think. And, and so that was that. I will, I will note that the phrase hot sheets was used, um, I think yesterday briefly, but only in passing and not explained by Don Hall Young, uh, as part of like stuff she did or stuff they said she didn't do accurately, uh, when she was, uh, when she was given her performance assessment or performance improvement plan, excuse me, the PIP. Um, but it wasn't explained. This uh, witness did explain that it was sort of like a a one-pager summary in sort of layperson's terms that, yeah, you could put on social media and be like, we did this, this was the sample size, this is why we did it, and this is what we found sort of thing, which, uh, again, as Bill said, probably not the worst idea in the world. Uh, but, again, it's all part of, like, execution and how you package it uh, and, you know, that's just work product, not real, um, not extremely um, germane to to um, you know most of the other exhibits and witnesses we've heard. Just one, one, uh, one yes, other ahead, one other fun fact, uh, because we've discussed this bit before. But before her testimony, uh, a member of of Team Kathy, I think it was her sister, uh, stopped by uh, Miss Bayline, Bayline. Uh, and offered her brownies that uh, the mom had made the night before, and she declined because she was like, you know, she's like, oh, I'm a little nervous about testifying, but yeah. she thanked her. So brownies are becoming, um, I think, a crucial, <laughs> the crucial food of the trial thus far. Yeah, and and again, as I mentioned, it was uh, great. This was the first witness, and and 
I, I'm I suspect the only witness, which I and I, I could be wrong, the only witness that uh, Chelsea Bosch, uh, the uh, the assistant defense attorney, um, has has called uh, and 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 questioned. Um, but it's possible based on who we think is going to come up tomorrow that we might see uh, we might see more of uh, Miss Bosch. So uh, won't uh, won't Judge Carpenter be pleased? Um, he say he mentioned something today about possibly being involved with like some of her early cases or maybe some sort of training she did. I, I don't know. There's there, it, it was an, it was it was just interesting when you see a new a new character um, that you haven't heard um, kind of burst on the scene. Yeah, I remember Judge Carpenter had mentioned like her softball statistics. So she was a collegiate softball pitcher. Uh, so maybe maybe that's why they got along so well. He's a big baseball fan. Yeah, he is a big he's he's a big baseball nut. Uh, so then, once once uh, Miss Baleen steps down, our friend, you know, the, the the great Hall of Famer Frank Robinson goes back to the stand, um, and and his cross examination by Mr. Steve Wood continues. Here's how I'll, I'll here's what I'll say, and then I'll just give everybody sort of the the bullet points that I have. This got extremely heated. Uh, it got um, extremely technical. Uh, many places here, I have like pedantic legal argument. I have like an esoteric word for word. Like the statute uses this word, but you know you didn't use that word, and and it got very heated. It 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 dragged out um, quite a bit. But the gist of it is this: in June of two thousand twenty-one. Mr. Robinson interviewed Christy Gross from my campaign group and got, you know, different pieces of information. But on the search warrant, he didn't really utilize that information. And I will say, let me back up just maybe 10 minutes here. Before the cross began, there was a lengthy... Uh, chambers. They didn't even go to a sidebar. They went to chambers. Now, Judge Carpenter does not have chambers in the Kent County Courthouse, so they had to go to some undisclosed location, possibly a concrete bunker, possibly the break room downstairs next to the vending machines. We don't know. Um, and then they came back out and, and began this cross-examination. Now, if you remember, uh, yesterday, uh, Mr. Robinson claimed it, um, at some of his previous testimony uh, he was twisted up. Uh, he was confused based on the sort of the, the manner in which he was being examined uh, by Mr. Wood. And so the first bit of this is his uh, sort of the way that he described my campaign group on these initial documents was basically a cut and paste from the my campaign group website, which talks about um political consulting, um, electioneering, things of that nature, and to make it look like that's all that they did. But as we said, he had already interviewed Christy Gross in June and did not mention, for example, that they were looking to build this state task force to audit COVID money. Didn't mention it. That they were, uh, that, that, she, uh, that, that my campaign group had done a comms work had helped um, put together a special review on uh, the Department of Corrections, what they pay for prescription drugs, for example. So he was just basically saying she did do some relevant work that was not mentioned, and the implication being that 
the theory was that this was, you know, a, a political sort of thing. Um, and so he was trying to create sort of implications that he knew were not 100% true or, or, or to, to, uh, to Steve Woods. Uh, it goes back to the, you know, whole truth and nothing but the truth. So it sort of wasn't the whole truth, quote unquote. Uh, I will say that this this drug out uh, quite a long time, and uh, my friend uh, Lex Wilson just leaned over to me and 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 whispered, "This is bordering on cringe." Um, but you know, uh, Wood has to do this. You know, this is you know he's he's got to try to 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 sow reasonable doubt and poke holes in in all of this uh, sort of stuff. And and basically, it was just that. With Christy Gross, he had interviewed her, but he didn't necessarily describe her work with the auditor's office exactly accurately afterwards. Uh, same with Lydia August. Um, same with basically saying that the two other um, casual seasonal employees that we've met already um, resigned and di- weren't weren't fired or weren't terminated for lack of work. Um, so... You know, it, it's 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 sort of technical, and it, and it did come out. Uh, I guess whether it was re maybe maybe it was when Denny was doing um, redirect that yeah, some of these some of these casual seasonal employees did sort of resign by text message, but they told Frank Robinson that like we weren't getting hours. Uh, it was you know, I, I think it was um, Rose, Rosaline Maurice uh, went with her husband to go take care of her mother out of state, but she did that because she wasn't getting the hours. That's why she resigned. So it was sort of like this circular thing, but just, again, trying to sow this seed of reasonable doubt. Um, One other one was um, who had access to the company car, basically. So there was some question about whether Fleet Services gave all of the information, whether he knew of all the different casual seasonal employees to be able to check back to Fleet Services list. And it was just a lot of like sort of esoteric things like that that would, you know, would try to present some some picture of a theory that they didn't want to get off of. And so the some of the early documents like the charging documents and like the search warrant um, were not were not. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, basically. Um, Bill, do you have anything? Do you have anything else on this? Sure. For the defense counsel, you know they're trying to uh, critique basically Frank's investigatory work. Uh, the you know, in other words, the search warrant should have should have uh, provided more background for each of the you know the the witnesses, each of the whistleblowers cited in it. Um, there was one thing. I mean, you know, Steve Wood kept kept saying this. This, um, you know, Frank, why didn't you do da da da? That's because you were afraid of the answer. Because if you found that out, if you actually kept digging, you would have found out some things that probably would have colored your perception of of what's been going on in the office. Um, you know, I did think. I, I do think they're they're probably again. I don't know about like the the practicalities of drafting a subpoena or a search warrant in under these circumstances, but. I would think that it's rather in the favor of the state to sort of as plainly as possible state what they what they're looking for. Uh, and maybe you wait for, you know, um, discovering things to sort of flesh out the case and the characters involved. But I did think that uh, Frank Robinson's lack of kind of doing a deep dive 
on the employee lap reports uh, was odd. You know, like if you've got access to those, why wouldn't you just sort of just do some cursory searches for some other individuals who showed up there or who didn't show up there? Um, so yeah, that's kind of all I got. This was, you know, I I, I kind of thought that that Mr. Robinson did well for all the the badgering uh, that he probably deserved to take because, uh, you know. <laughs> Some of the contours of this case have been the result of, of uh, some mistakes he's, you know, made either intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah, a couple, couple funny, couple funny uh, details from this. There was a section where, uh, again, Mr. Wood is diving into this idea that he that that Robinson did not go far enough to sort of understand uh, the evidence that he was citing uh, in the search warrant document. One of the things that really is sort of a weak uh, argument is. The theft charge depends upon this idea that the, the that Sailor's money was being directly deposited into an M&T savings account that Kathy McGinnis co-signed. Now, the savings account is called Starter Savings. Uh, it's basically for you know students uh, with their parents' signature to you know get their first account, have a debit card, or or, or save some money or whatever, and. Um, you know, he said, how do we know Kathy even ever took money out of this account? We have absolutely no idea. And, um, you know, he was saying, like, well, it could we see withdrawals, and they both had a reason to withdraw, and it could have been the man on the moon. And at this point, um, you know, Wood is going through these rhetorical flourishes. He's walking away from the lectern. He's turning to the gallery. He's walking. He, then I realize, as I'm taking notes, he's walking behind the prosecutor's table towards the jury in the middle of a question as he's, like, speaking and judge carpenter had to say mr wood please step back over to the to the po to the podium or the lectern there uh so that was i i think and i had mentioned it a little before then to bill he was really he was really um feeling his oats i guess they say or whatever they however they however, whatever that saying is he, he was definitely into it um and so that went on for uh, as i said um quite a while the the only other funny thing there i think that people would think is interesting and I don't know if we uh, have recorded this yet but there's an email from Kathleen McGinnis to I believe Shoshana Cousin and it says something about having to do an after the face change um, and of course what that probably means is an after the fact waiver uh, and one of the reasons that I suspect my speculation is that that Robinson didn't see this as they probably searched on after the fact and it didn't come up because it said after the face So once again here a, a Kathy typo plays it plays a huge role in this um, piece of evidence, which I thought was extremely funny Yeah, I also thought it was kind of great that um, That mr. Wood took a subtle dig or not so subtle dig at uh, uh, The recently dunce capped Thomas Van Horn when he was he was kind of quote uh, paraphrasing mr. Van Horn from last week and you know, you know, Mr. Van Horn testified that, you know, he and a, a colleague, you know, they just engaged in like a makeout session that lasted about five seconds. So uh, you got to put that dig in when the when the man's down and out. Uh, yeah, kick money's down. Yeah. And uh, uh, Rob, did you talk about the sort of uh, the hypothetical he posed about, like, where is the DOJ uh, permitted to investigate police shootings? Uh, I did not. I did not. Um why there was this sort of esoteric conversation about why 
there's a question about what's within the statutory rights of the auditor to examine and what's within the statutory rights of the AG, Kathleen Jennings, to investigate. And so he, he pulled out, he had to pull out like one of the, uh, the, the, the criminal code book that the judge has on his bench. Well, it was Title uh, 29. Yeah, it was the section on the, how the Department of Justice operates. He, he went to yeah, it so, twice throughout the day. There were these kinds of like interminable waits while he uh, flipped through the code. Yeah, and at one point I will say that he, he, handed, uh, he handed Mr. Robinson an exhibit and said, this is uh, such and such, uh, you know, your, 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 your testimony or a transcript of an interview or something like that. And he was like, I don't, I don't think it is. He was like, really? Isn't this this transcript of XYZ? He was like, no. He was like, are you telling? Oh, wait, no, that is wrong. And they had misplaced the exhibit. Uh, they were looking all around for it. The judge like, is like, is it there? Mr. Denny was, and of course, Denny was like, nope, nope, no, I don't have it. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, like, so, so it was, it was pretty funny. Um. But finally, they found it, and and you know, eventually, this um, this ended. Um, there was a brief uh, redirect uh, by Mr. Denny that basically said a lot of that um, language was removed from the chart. Once once the search warrant and the the there was an issue with suppressing some of the evidence they found, and issues with the search warrant language, a lot of that language was removed from the charging document. And we suspect that a lot of this questioning was about the language in the search warrant. And they weren't. And, and so there's some speculation that the long chambers before this uh, resumption of cross had to do with not bringing up the indictment and the charging documents themselves, but relying on this previous um, the previous verbiage in the search warrant. So, again, this the first cup the first hour and a half or so of the day uh was was pretty uh mind numbing sort of legalese uh for for like the uninitiated like me but i did get you know i did get something out of it then the state calls their final witness miss deborah moreau uh she's an attorney with the public integrity commission she's basically leads the leads the state department that enforces and gives guidance on ethics code and ethics rules uh, to, you know, state agencies. Um, now, the cool thing with um, with Miss Moreau is that she's also an attorney and um, and and she's a little bit prickly. Um, so, you know, her going uh, head to head with Wood was uh, was pretty funny. But um, of course, this is a prosecution witness. So we basically start out like this. Moreau gets a call in August 2021, August 2021, um, from Kathy. She returns that call. Kathy says, and I'm going to paraphrase, Bill, please check me. Kathy says, there are, there are some issues in the office where interns and myself are getting um, harassed and bullied. One of the, one of the, interns is her daughter sailor and before she even says anything she says I, I can hire my my daughter right and she says yes under certain conditions here are here are basically the conditions under which you can hire a, a family member or someone that you might have a conflict of interest with there these are sort of like the general ethics rules 
And she says the, the best thing um, you can do is, you know, you, we, we can give you a full write-up if you want to give us this information. Um, you can get an opinion from the commission. You can come in, we can give you an opinion, and then you have that um, to use, and you can, quote, get out ahead of this. Kathy's response was, would that be considered putting things on the record? To which Moreau says, yes. To which Kathy says, okay, I'll call you back to schedule something, and never calls her again. Um, so that's, that's um, sort of how that went. And they did a little explaining about how these hearings, how these sort of ethics or, or commission, how the commission would listen to this information and then give a, you know, give some guidance, you know, give a guidance document based on all of the facts that they have. Uh, but again, Kathy never, um, never called. Now, now again, the, the, the cross-examination got very spicy, but it was only about three minutes long. Uh, the judge had to admonish the witness for, for being argumentative. Uh, at one point, um, she was like questioning the, or questioning the way a question was asked. And, uh, of course, Wood says, well, I'm not trying to confuse you. And she says, of course you're trying to confuse me. <laughs> and so that was a, that was a fun moment. Um, but, I, again, he was, he, was, um, he was talking about, like, ethics bulletins from the 1990s. And, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of going nowhere. Um, she did talk about conflict of interest. The one little nugget, and I think we're going to – I think – and you heard Wood use this when he made his – uh, when when he made his motions to acquit uh, at midday, that there can be th- basically three kinds of conflict of interest: financial, personal, or private. Personal fin- personal conflict of interest doesn't necessarily mean any financial benefit to you. Uh, you know, uh, you know, something might come across your desk with a family member, and you might give that decision preferential treatment. But it has no financial impact. Now, there was some question about whether financial impact is absolutely relevant for the criminal piece rather than just conflict of interest in an ethics sort of non-criminal way. Um, you know, again, very mundane, very uh, you know, sort of like a you know, difficult legal question for the, the uninitiated as I am. Uh, but that was really the one, uh, the, the one big um, issue there. Um, she steps down, that's all, uh, and then uh, after lunch, the state rests. Now, the first thing that happens is Mr. Wood makes a motion to acquit on all five charges. This motion to acquit is basically an argument saying that even before I start my case, the burden of proof is on the state. Here's why they didn't meet the burden of proof on all five charges. The only charge that the judge seemed to focus on about sort of being unsure about was actually the witness intimidation charge. I'm going to go through them quickly, and then I'll have Bill add some some flavor and some detail so people can understand what these are. We have financial benefit conflict of interest. I think that's fairly straightforward. We have theft, which is the share, basically the shared account, which is a little bit weak. We have structuring, whether, um, you know, whether violations of the budget manual raised to the, 
the level of a crime. We have official misconduct. Uh, and again, this depends on other counts. So his argument was, well, if these counts don't go, this can't go. And witness intimidation. And again, the witness intimidation seems to come down to this idea of what the definition of a witness is, whether she knew they were witnesses in an investigation, or whether they knew that they were being surveilled, for example. So if Kathy has all of your email, but you don't know she has it, is she intimidating you? Um, so, you know, it, it gets into these sort of these kinds of arguments and, and you have to sort of follow the thread through them. Um, those were the five charges. He makes a motion to acquit. Uh, Bill, let's let's wrap this up. What was your feelings about these? What were some other details? And what was the final? Uh, what was the the way that this was adjudicated by Judge Carpenter? Sure. Uh, and just to set the stage, this is uh, this is Rule Twenty Nine of the Delaware Criminal Rules of Procedure. And basically, Rob already paraphrased this, but here's the standard that Judge Carpenter is looking at when he's hearing these arguments uh, from Wood. Uh, so the court basically on a motion by Kathy's team uh, can order and enter a judgment of acquittal on one or more of the offenses in the indictment after the evidence by the state has, they've closed, they've closed their case, if the evidence is insufficient to sustain a conviction of that offense or the offenses. Um, so yeah, so basically, um, it's a rather high threshold for the defense to meet here. Um, I think, Rob, you know, to answer your question, frankly, I thought, you know, and we've been talking this week, um, it felt like the witness intimidation charge would be the one that would be um, most likely for conviction. So it was interesting that that Judge Carpenter flagged it as the one that he really, he kind of wanted to suss out a bit more with the attorney. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him ask questions of both counsel to get the information he wanted to get out of them um, to, to sort of decide what he wanted to do with all of these motions. Um, he did say something that sort of we were, we were alluding to, and, and it, it hasn't been said outright in front of the jury, but um, the sort of the phone call to uh, Virginia Bateman that caused the, you know, the call to Kathy and, and subsequent events that day, um, Steve Wood keeps pushing on the idea that he never said criminal investigation. He never said Kathy. Uh, but finally, Judge Carpenter was like, look, you get a call from the DOJ. Like, everybody knows what that means. Like, it doesn't really matter what he said. It's whether or not you think that you're, that, that is um, perhaps something's up uh, with the Department of Justice. So, uh, he, so the, he winds up, you know, Basically saying he's going to reserve his his right to uh, to to acquit himself, which is really until after the jury comes back, which is really what I have always been told is called setting aside the verdict. Uh, I know that's extremely rare for the jury to come back with a guilty verdict on a count on a criminal count. And then the judge say, actually, the jury was wrong based on the law. It wasn't proven and overturn it. He can do that. Uh, and he reserved the right to do that. Um, but I, I think if if you ask a defense attorney whether or not, once it goes to the jury, whether or not the judge is, is inclined to overturn a jury verdict, uh, I know that they are not. And it's extremely rare. Um, so I, it seems to me that all five of these um, charges are going to go to the jury. 
Um, there's going to be some question about how the instructions are going to be handled, about how the judge is going to instruct the jury to to look at these and, and, and look at the, the pieces of each one to make sure that they're satisfied. Um, but all five will be will be going to the jury. Here we go. Defense case begins. The first defense witness uh, after the after the one uh, before the state uh, rests uh, is Amy Gooley. And we did confirm uh, that is how uh, she pronounces her last name. Uh, she had 17 years in newsrooms around central Pennsylvania. She's from the Harrisburg area. Um, and then she moved into the PA Auditor General's office as a press agent in the Auditor General's office. Uh, she was the director of, of special reports, and she wrote policies and white papers uh, for the PA Auditor. Um, she was part of the effort uh, to create this multi-state task force in, in COVID uh, funds tracking. Uh, she wound up, I'm trying to see when she started, because she originally started with Kathy. She left PA because a Republican, uh, Republican candidate was elected to the office, uh, and so she didn't think she was going to be able to work with the new uh, Auditor General. She spoke to Kathy in September uh, and then again in November, and I believe in December of 2020, she was brought on as a casual seasonal employee with no benefits um, at $50 an hour for the, that 29 and a half hours. And then she transitioned uh, into an, a full-time deputy auditor March 1st of 2021. Bill, do you want to get into this idea about like this this obsession this I, I'm going to call it an obsession about what other states are doing, like especially Pennsylvania. But there's this obsession about sort of nationalizing the Delaware Auditor's Office, you know, joining this this task force. Like COVID's this great opportunity because this money's there to get into sort of like a nationally national task force, national coalition, start doing things that other offices are doing. Um, I, I I find that very interesting, and we've talked about it before about Kathy trying to do different things with the office. It's not necessarily bad, um, but uh, the the execution of it is um, haphazard, to say the least. Um, Bill, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Robert, I think you're doubting the uh, the dignity, the courage, etc., of one Eugene DePascal. He is the former Pennsylvania auditor who can do no wrong. Uh, Damn those term limits. We only had eight years with him. Uh, you know, that I think it's to your point, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So Amy Gooley, she comes from a newspaper background. She has like maybe a comms or a PR bent to her. So, you know, and, you know, I was thinking about this. It's hard to, I you know, only getting to know her for the afternoon. If uh, what's her name was... Um, if I said that her blog, so this was Christy Gross, right? If her blog would be called uh, Filibusters and Frown Lines, then Amy Gooley's would be something like uh, like True Crime and Trundle Beds. Uh, I don't know. She had she had like some girl boss vibes to her, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, and I remember she was kind of being like cute or twee during some back and forth where where Denny may have asked her, you know, what what happened? What happened at the beginning of each uh, monthly office staff meeting? And she said, 
well, we did the confidentiality pledge and then we had pancakes. Uh, just kind of like trying to lighten the mood. I was like, all right, lady. Yeah. And um, and, and uh, for the record, I will say, I believe it was waffles. Oh, it was waffles. Damn. I, I think had, it was. I, I had a 50-50 chance there. And yeah, I, that was a good one. It I, wasn't I, French toast. I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But to your point, yeah, she seemed to be the one uh, spearheading these sort of national initiatives. Again, I don't think that, you know, doing something like a, a national auditing template for COVID spending seems good in theory, but you know, the shit just didn't happen. You know, the Operation Gray Fox or Project Gray Fox, you know, I don't I don't know how accurately these sort of pet projects tracked uh, all of the federal COVID relief money flooding into the state. Um, I feel like there was another sort of special report that Amy Gooley had spearheaded. Uh, it'll come to me. But it was almost it was like another obscure one involving, you know, the pharmacy sector somehow. Um, so yeah, yeah. You know, I think that she was, uh, an ally of Kathy and I think that she saw an auditor's office sort of at a crossroads and she thought, all right, I can come in and sort of drive. I, I can sh- help, sh- you know, shape the culture of the auditor's office and I can drive the narrative, uh, for what we're doing, which is, yeah, sort of a more, I don't want to say progressive cause it's not progressive, but just sort of a more creative or adventurous, um, sort of you know, job of doing audits. And also, you know, making it, you know, maybe more of a social media bent or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the few other things we want to touch on with this witness is she, she did go down a laundry list of, like, things that were bad in the office. And, again, it's going to come back to, like, some of these things weren't crimes but just dysfunction, I guess you would say. Um, the, Thomas Van Horn was very disorganized. His 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 joint finance committee prep was very bad. Uh, we've heard that before. That was from her. This is uh, obviously from Gooley. Um, they had a lot of he he was far behind in his paperwork and email and and herself and and um, Adriana Sewell uh, had to clean up uh, a lot of his stuff. It took him a while. He was a poor record keeper. There were HR errors um, getting pinned on uh, Mr. Van Horn. And again, I think that's important because we've already heard a lot of these, like, a lot of things were coded in the system wrong. And again, this is not necessarily a crime, but, you know, Sailor McGinnis is, is, is the public information officer of, of the auditor's office for a period of time, technically. She has the, the, the 37 and a half hours that a full-time salaried employee would have. Um, one of, I guess it was Lydia, um, Lydia August is listed as resigned when there's a question about her, her separation from the auditor's office, and she's, she's listed as resigned for the Department of Labor based on something that's keyed into the system. And so this was just a sort of a, you know, a, a way to establish that, you know, other people were, were unprofessional, uh, inept, you know, made errors, and to try to sort of insulate Kathy from, from some of that. Uh, it was definitely a hostile environment over there. Um, they are establishing this idea that front of the house and back of the house, which is basically like staff auditors who, you know, worked with Wagner for 20 years and administrators that are political appointees and and like Kathy's team in the front. Um, There was definitely friction for all of the reasons that we've already talked about, but it was, um, you know, we we got it from from Amy Gooley's perspective. Um, We also got her perspective on... Mr. Dan Hamilton's uh, unfortunate statements and unfortunate uh, lunch. 
Uh, so we got sort of her her stance on that. Um, she inherited the pip uh, for Don Hall Young from uh, Thomas Van Horn and, and Matt Zolper uh, that we talked about yesterday. Uh, and she um, she gave her side of the uh, the Laura Horsey reprimand uh, and that. Uh, it was, you know, totally uncalled for to 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 speak up at this meeting that they had to get the MOU signed with the school board uh, CFOs, and they couldn't believe that Kathy just wanted to try to get everybody to sign it, and she wasn't on this, you know, she wasn't on the same page. She was undermining Kathy's authority because, you know, the school, you know, it it seems a little far fetched to me. I mean, I understand as someone who worked at a corporation and had some of these kind of meetings that you're trying to convince another group to go do something that you wouldn't just say like, hey, you know, I understand your concerns. You always say, like, I understand your concerns. I think because she said I'd have some of the same concerns that like they just were were flabbergasted that somebody would say this. Um, But frankly, I'm I'm still not really convinced. I, 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 I they're not convincing me that this was as bad as they're trying to say. But I think the problem is they had a lot invested in moving the office in this direction. And so when they weren't getting cooperation from, uh, you know, certain staff members in the, in the audit back office, um, they didn't really know how to address this kind of stuff. So they, in my view, they overreacted on this. But she defended this reprimand. And again, it went, as we said yesterday, this reprimand was uh, Horsey files a grievance. It goes through a lengthy HR process, several steps. And through each step, uh, the rhetoric from Team Kathy and from Amy Gooley and from Sewell uh, gets, gets uh, more and more heated. So it goes from, you know, we're just going to write you a reprimand because this was inappropriate to if this would have happened when I worked in Pennsylvania, you would have been fired. And... This is another way of sort of demonstrating perhaps um, the witness intimidation charge. Yeah, Rob, I just wanted to to um, kind of maybe do like a a reflection upon uh, Steve papering over these you know whistleblowers uh, written disciplinary histories. You know, he would refer to this as just a little piece of paper in the file. And I wonder if that resonated with any jurors because you know wh- whether you acted in a manner or were accused of acting in a manner, that deserved a uh, reprimand from your boss, you know, it still is a big deal. You know, I don't want to say it would keep you up at night, but um, that's something you're, it makes you feel vulnerable. And I think it also makes you feel susceptible to, to in- intimidation. So I, I kind of wondered whether when Steve was downplaying the significance of this, and, you know, I think he's treating it as more of just like kind of inner office conflict. Uh, I was, I was thinking about the jurors there and any worker really who's, uh, who's experienced discipline. Uh, do you want to hit to hit on a fun part? Uh, the audio that we heard of the phone call between uh, yes. Investigator Robinson and Ms. Ms. Gooley. Let me finish. Let me finish the point you just made, and then let's get on that because the because uh, Steve Wood continues to say for these whether it's a whether it's a performance improvement plan, the PIP, whether it's a reprimand, it's just a piece of paper. He'll say that they get demoted. No, did they get their paid doc? No, were they fired? No. Um, but even in the arguments to acquit and the motions to acquit with, outside the presence of the jury, uh, he makes a similar argument like this. And the judge basically says, yeah, but they were on the stand and you can tell it was important to them. 
Like when you're getting a reprimand from your boss, you know, you could feel a certain way about it. When you're put on a performance improvement plan, yeah, I mean, you can say, I was just trying to help her improve her TPS reports or whatever, or her hot sheets. But the fact of the matter is that worker is going to feel a certain kind of way about it, even if it's just, quote, a piece of paper in your file. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to mention that that, that is a, that's a little detail that um, I think is important. Um, Lex and I actually talked about it at lunchtime, too. So good pool on that. Uh, so then uh, Mr. Denny starts his cross-examination with a phone call. Now, as we said yesterday, after, on, on June 15th, 2021, Mr. Robinson finally gets in touch with Virginia Bateman, Sailor's friend. Asks her a few questions, a very awkward phone conversation. They hang up. Virginia Bateman immediately contacts Sailor and Kathy. Kathy's phone calls Robinson from a block number. Amy Gooley calls Robinson at his desk phone and leaves a voicemail. She also, what we find out, is looked him up on LinkedIn to see who he was. Now, <clears throat> they they do this move. They they play the they play the audio of the callback uh with Robinson calling back Amy Gooley. Oh Rob, just wanted to also just clarify this was still on direct from Steve Wood. Oh, was it when he, when they when they played the call? Yep. Okay, so it was right at the end because he did it must have been at the end because then Denny comes up and makes okay. So they play the call. And um, do you want to explain uh, the, the, the call itself and, and some of the aspects in it? Sure. Yeah, no, I refer to this now as the June 15th insurrection. Um, and basically, yeah, so the gist of it, uh, as Rob just described, I imagine, you know, the auditor's office is collectively freaking out, uh, or at least not the entire office, but the sort of Kathy, the wing and those who staff her. Uh, so Amy leaves the message for Frank. He wants to find out if this is a real person who called Virginia, or is this just some troll? Is it uh, some WFP troll? Um, so basically, Amy picks up the phone. It's Frank. She's like, Frank, did she say, let me get a pen? Or let me close the door. Let me close let the me, door. Uh, hold on, let me close yeah, my it's door. It's loud outside in the hallway. Let me close the door. Hold music starts for a solid 50, 55 seconds. So Rob and I are joking. We're sitting there. It's like, what was it? Was she closing the barn door? Was she closing a, uh, a three-car garage? Because uh, it, it is a comically long amount of time. There's some kind of nervous laughter in the courtroom. And then she returns. All good, Rob? Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I guess the, the purpose of the call, you know, basically, like I said, it was uh, for Amy Gooley and her colleagues at the auditor's office. And and the um, the teens, uh, the teen interns, basically to determine that that Frank was legit. And um, but you know, I, I, on the call, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, but Frank did not mention that the office was under investigation at that time. No, he 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 definitely did not. Um, the, the, I mean, as you said, the two questions from from Gooley were like, "Are you really who you said you are?" Because you know the. the Virginia was just like, I get this cold call and I'm giving out like personal information, like when I started, what I, you know, what my pay was, et cetera, et cetera. But she's like, also, um, you know, are, are you going to be looking into anybody else? Can we give him a heads up <laughs> like that move? And, and he kind of played it off like, well, you know, we're just, we just get these, you know, as we get assigned to talk to each person. And I don't know if I'm going to be assigned to talk to anybody else at this point and kind of just plays it off. Um, so that's, 
sort of how that left was left. Then Denny comes up on cross. Who we've says, already proclaimed as like a master of the redirect. Could could he have another uh, bow in his quiver? Yeah, I mean he's he's the king of the redirect. He comes up and he and his first question is I listened to that um <clears throat> that phone call and I think he said fifty three seconds from the whole music to coming back. He was like, She does come back, and this is on the call. So in real time, she does this thing where she says you know, my door is hard to close sometimes. I'm sorry for the delay. Which, as a, as a pretty cynical person, I think she knew she was away from the phone a long time and had to come up with a reason why she was so why, why she was away from the phone. So he says, did you go get the auditor so she could listen into this call? She said, I, I don't recall. Okay. Uh, did you talk to anybody? Did you say, hey, I got, I got Frank Robinson on the horn? I don't, rec- I don't recall. I, I could have... I could have talked to somebody coming by my office, uh, and that's why. But, like, when she was on the phone, rather than explain, like, why her door didn't work, which is sort of the, the excuse she gave Frank Robinson in the heat of the moment, she's just like, I don't remember something. Um, so that was a very – again, there's, there's no – you know, you're never going to get uh, satisfaction in finding out what she really was doing, uh, but it was, it was very fishy for, for sure. Uh, so he brought that up. Uh, also on Cross, he brought up this idea that after these meetings, Dan Hamilton especially um, would bring up like what she called hostile questions. And so he asked her to explain that. And it was like, well, we would have a staff meeting and talk about like what the, what the, what the time and the break time policy and the lunchtime policy is. And then he would come up afterwards and be like, because he had he actually had uh, responsibility for a group of auditors. You know, is anybody breaking this rule? Should I be like, should, should I should you let me know? And I need to take some action. Like, why did you bring this up? And they called that hostile. Now, of course, this is exactly the kind of conversation she just had that we just heard in the court from that she wanted to know from Frank Robinson. Like, hey, is there anybody doing anything that we should give a heads up to? So, she, you know, she's basically, he, Dan, Dan Hamilton's asking a similar question to the question that we just got done hearing her ask Frank Robinson, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but again, uh, Amy is a, um, I mean, she's Kathy ride or die. Um, that's, that, that's, you know, that's what she is. Um, the last thing that was covered was, um, her perspective of the the horsey grievance and why you know she originally wrote the grievance to say you know we're just we're going to write a reprimand uh, and it, you know this wouldn't fly because of you know you you, could, you spoke out of turn or whatever to once it got through the HR process and once time went on for several months it became clear that there was other trouble brewing and so their rhetoric about this grievance to Laura Horsey got ramped up to where eventually Amy Gooley tells her when I was in Pennsylvania, they, they basically would have fired you for this and you'd have been sacked. Um, which is, which is a little, which, which again, I, I think, you know, these things do happen in an office, um, this kind of stuff, but it, it you know, it, it's, it's in this case, it would be a, a, a very strange coincidence. So this is uh, basically where we closed our day today. Um, what else, what else was going on today? Did I miss anything? First of all, Bill. 
You know, I don't think so. Um, it was a it was a jam packed day. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're still we're 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 continuing to see a full picture of you know behind the scenes action in the OAOA, um, both in you know a, a positive and negative lights. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll keep going back tomorrow, Rob. I imagine you want to end on this note, maybe uh, speculating on what the schedule of the rest of the week is going to look like. I do uh, because we're we're running up against a, a holiday weekend, folks. Fourth uh, of July uh, is is Monday, so I'm sure that Judge Carpenter, the the cast of characters uh, on both sides of the aisle, as well as the our, our precious jurors, would like to see this uh, resolved by Friday at the latest. Yeah. So the schedule right now looks like we could potentially do that. Uh, I think, basically, from what we know. The defense has three witnesses left. Um, one of them is a, I think, an, uh, a woman whose name I wrote down that I can't find, of course, that I hadn't, I don't think I'd heard of before. Um, oh, uh, Kira Marshall. Oh, yeah. uh, Kira Marshall. Uh, and, of course, Lydia August is scheduled to testify, and I believe Elena Sewell. And I think those are the three. Now, the, the wrinkle tomorrow is... Uh, one of them uh, had COVID symptoms, I think, but feels better, but probably will uh, probably will testify via Zoom. Um, one of them needs to testify via Zoom, so we, fingers crossed that you know the technical issues work smoothly enough to get through those witnesses. Uh, and if we get through all three witnesses, uh, we, we've and the defense rests. The only thing we have then is 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 perhaps Mr. Denny putting on, you know, some rebuttal witnesses. So he could he could put on a rebuttal witness or two. Um, I know, I, I think what Judge Carpenter said is, you know, it's, 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 it's their right, it's the state's right to do this. I, I hope it is, if it does happen, that it's done in a, in a quick manner. Um, so to keep us on track, because um, there, there is going to be some back and forth, and hopefully it happens sort of off business hours, about how the jury about how the jury is going to be instructed, and the closing arguments are already capped at ninety minutes. So if we can have closing arguments and jury instruction, and it go to the jury Thursday, and the jury deliberates some period Thursday evening into Friday, I think we'll get a verdict this week. Um, so it's a very tight schedule. It's it's contingent on several things, but there is a. There, if it does go to the jury, even if it goes to the jury Friday morning, I suspect the jury is going to be very motivated to come to uh, some sort of consensus agreement, however they need to do that, um, before the weekend. Um, because, you know, it's, it's already, it's, it's dragged into its third week, uh, and now the holiday is looming, and, and I just don't, I, I, don't, I, I, I can't see... Um, I can't see that any of them wanting um, to run it out through the fourth and come back. Agreed. Highlight of the day for me. I mean, we talk about, you know, um, people's attitudes, what they're wearing. Um, Assistant AG, uh, Miss uh, Mosey, uh, was wearing a very cool ensemble today, like a, a charcoal uh, suit with a, with a, with a sort of a, a black jacket but like these turquoise uh, shoes, these turquoise heels with it. 
Uh, she's a very tall uh, woman anyway. She's almost as tall as Mark Denny, and Mark Denny's quite quite a tall man. Uh, so yeah, I, I did see her at lunchtime, and I was able to tell her that she was uh, she was she was styling and profiling today. So shout out um, to the assistant attorney general. And, you know, big shout out to Eugene D. Pascal as well. Uh, I'm really curious to see what he does next. Um, but, you know, pretty much nothing beats when he was uh, helming the ship at the Pennsylvania Department of the Auditor General. The guy might have been the best Auditor General of all time. People, people are saying it. More and more people are saying it every day. So true. Folks, thanks for listening. Um, you know how to hit us up on Patreon. We hope you do that. We hope you're enjoying these. We are very much enjoying uh, giving them to you, uh, but we hope you can uh, show us a little love and uh, you know how to do it. So uh, until tomorrow morning, left is best. <laughs>